Who is this? It's Tune In Radio on WPHLive.tv with Dave and Dave. I knew Monday back in the early 80s. You ever think about doing radio? You'd like that, wouldn't you? The first U.S. gold medal at the Olympics has gone to a sharpshooter from West Virginia. Ginny Thrasher took gold in the 10-meter air rifle competition. She set an Olympics finals record. You shouldn't take guns. They're dangerous. Showtime. We are back for another episode of the Radio Cast in Tucson, Arizona. My name is Dave Vincent, alongside Dave Fink, back from Penn State. Dave, what's the show about today? This is episode five. Well, Dave, we've got quite a bit to discuss today. Three-wall ball in Vegas, just about a month away. The Olympics are back, Dave. I know you're excited about that. Oh, yeah. ESPN covering handball for another season. The Race for Eight tour schedule. I'm going to talk a little bit about the favorites in the Race for Eight, Dave, in August, believe it or not. Also, some new rules that could impact play, I think, make it a lot more fan-friendly. ESPN being back is pretty big news. The Olympics, I don't know if that is necessarily the biggest news out there, because I saw some of the ratings, and they were god-awful. Hmm. Something like, Two and a half million people tuned in for, to the opening ceremonies. Now, you might think that's pretty good, but when the voice is pulling in 20 to 50 million viewers, it's it's not really a good thing. Was well, that on each channel, two and a half million? Because it seems I like know, it's on just about every channel. Their Bravo channel has the Olympic coverage. Does that seem right <laughs> to you? I was flying home the other day, Dave, and every channel on Southwest had the Olympics on it. Yeah. So I had no choice. I did get to see some great tennis, though. What a lot of people aren't talking about, Djokovic, two straight losses now. Wimbledon and now the Olympics. Now, when they talk about that first round loss, what, what round is that? That's the first round. I know, but what number? <laughs> Not 64. How many players are in there? How many countries are I involved? I should know that. But you don't. I, mean, I don't. Because they never say. That's no, why you don't know. Now, you I don't know. understand how the draws are made. How can Delpo be playing Djokovic in the first round when you've got two guys you've never heard of playing just below them, and many other guys you've never heard of also playing one another just doesn't seem right. That's like Paul Brady playing Mondo Ortiz in an opening round. <laughs> and we won't say what the other players would be like playing one another in the opening round. We don't name names here. We don't. We no. don't. Yeah, no. actually, I was going to rename the show. We name names. <laughs> That's the show. Speaking of Penn State, how could we mention your the, you know, the state that you grew up in without mentioning Donald Trump? I don't see the correlation, really. <laughs> Donald Trump is now engaged in that Twitter war with the father of a Muslim-American war hero that you and I spoke about earlier who died in the line of duty. Pretty sad for uh, Donald Trump. Most candidates at this point, Dave, just less than three weeks, three months away from the election would be going after their opponent, not Donald Trump. I don't think he brought up Hillary Clinton once in the last two weeks. He's too busy squabbling with babies, <laughs> reporters people in his own party paul ryan couldn't be reached for comment about that though uh he was too busy trying to scoop his brains back into his exploded skull <laughs> i know that you're a you're a paul ryan fan the nfl denied donald trump's statement that he made in an interview with abc news that the nfl sent him a letter saying that it was ridiculous that the debates were on nights they had games well the nfl has a lot to thank donald trump for you remember donald trump ruined and bankrupted the USFL years ago when they seemed like they could have actually become a viable threat or at least some threat to the NFL. Of course, now there is no threat to the NFL, and Mr. Trump was gracious enough to just ruin that league and give the NFL its Sundays in the fall and 
and really domination of all of the sports world. Speaking of the NFL, they had to cancel their Hall of Fame game last night because of that gooey substance that hmm. occurred on the plane surface after they spray painted the logos. Just goes to show you how tough our WPH outdoor players are. You should see the courts when we get there every morning at 6 a.m. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get the fire department out to wash down the courts. Going back to the handball thing, you're talking about Vegas earlier, and you you mentioned ESPN, but you said them on separate lines. Are mm-hmm. they? Are you talking about ESPN and Vegas as one subject, or are they two different things? No, that is one subject. ESPN will be there for the third straight year at the Stratosphere, Dave, covering the action Friday, Saturday, and Sunday live. I believe Dave will have probably about 20 hours of live coverage starting on Friday afternoon. That's going to be extremely exciting. The best of the best competing there. Big ball, small ball, three wall, one wall, doubles and singles, men's and women's. It's really couldn't ask for anything more. Okay, we're going to talk about that coming up right around the corner. We also have some Olympic news and mosquitoes becoming quite popular, the Zika virus. I know that you have some interesting facts to pass along, and we're going to get to those right around the corner. Stick with us. This is the Dave and Dave Radio Sportscast on TuneIn Radio. The Dave and Dave Sports Radiocast gives you unique interviews, news, birthdays, and more as they highlight upcoming events. Get more at WBHLive.tv. The WPH $200,000 Race for Eight Professional Handball Tour is back. Top handball players, qualifiers, senior 40-plus men, and women's elite will participate alongside amateurs, age division, juniors, and skill-level players at multiple stops beginning in October of 2016, running through April of 17. From the Simple Green U.S. Open of Handball through Salt Lake City's Players' Championship, The WPH Live TV film crew will be airing matches on ESPN3 and the Watch ESPN app with hopes you come out and play or help promote this amazing game by sharing each event's broadcast schedule. To gather the full schedule, go to www.wphlive.tv and use your tabs. Select Elite Handball and then click the schedule, news, rankings, and more. Come join the WPH on the courts this season. Join Three Wall Ball, World Players of Handball, World Outdoor Racquetball, the National Paddle Ball Association, and hosts the Stratosphere Hotel Tower Casino, plus title sponsor Pro Kenex, September 21st through the 25th for the biggest combined court sport event ever held. The Three Wall Ball Outdoor World Championships will combine the very best skilled juniors, age division, amateurs, pros, women, singles, and doubles players in racquetball, handball, and paddleball all at one venue, all to air live on ESPN and the Watch ESPN app. Visit 3wallball.com for more details about prize money, daily schedule of events, entry fees, and amazing hotel discounts at the Stratosphere in Las Vegas. We'll see you this September in Sin City. It's the kind of sick thinking. Let's make it nasty. We really need for our country. Isn't that right? Time for the Dave and Dave Radiocast. Which explains why we're all experiencing morning sickness. On TuneIn Radio. Hola, amigo. I'm Dora. Are you ready? We are back for another episode of this radio cast, Dave and Dave, as we cruise here on... A beautiful Monday afternoon, Tucson, Arizona, where the studios of the WPH Live.TV radio cast is from. At Dave, you know, at any time, listeners can get a hold of us by contacting 
the WPH website, WPHlive.tv. It's not .com, it's .tv. And you can also get us at info at WPHlive.tv as well. Dave, we mentioned the Olympics in our first segment. But did you know, Dave, that a lot of the talk around these games has been centered around the Zika virus? Yeah, a lot of people talking about that. I mean, a lot of guys... And women not going because of the potential threat of the Zika virus. So here are four facts for you about mosquito bites. Number one, only female mosquitoes bite. If you've ever been bitten by a mosquito, it was a female. Male mosquitoes make fine with eating plants and, and bugs and whatever they eat. Yeah. But the but the females, before they lay eggs, they have to have a blood meal. Mm. Okay. Mosquitoes are attracted to pregnant women and beer drinkers. So am I. Mm. I'm just joking. They do have that glow. <laughs> Mosquitoes are attracted to the carbon dioxide, lactic acid, and octanol found in our breath and sweat. And they also sense the heat from our bodies. In general, pregnant women and people who drink beer tend to exhale more carbon dioxide than the rest of us. So mosquitoes are more likely to bite them. Dave, your blood type might also be a factor. Not just you, but anybody. The research isn't conclusive, but people with the type... O blood appear to be more prone to mosquito bites than anyone else, while people with type A blood are least likely to get bit. So if you know your blood type, you may be less inclined to be bit by one of these female mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, this is not a joking matter here, are the deadliest animals on earth. Yeah, I heard that. More deaths are associated with mosquitoes than any other animal on the planet. Dave, a lot of people are so terrified of sharks and and bears, but how many people are being killed a year by sharks and bears combined? Maybe a thousand? I mean, we'd have to look maybe. that up. But I, maybe I but, less. But malaria alone, Dave, infects around 250 million people around the world each year and kills about one million. That's unbelievable. I don't think people realize that. And also the C CDC has issued a travel advisory to Florida because of the Zika virus and also because it's Florida. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got the helicopters hovering now spring in florida trying to contain it yeah we make such a big deal about not going to the olympics mm -hmm. how many of those those olympic athletes that live in florida decided not to go to the olympics because of and Zika to stay in florida and they are right there in florida yeah. uh, i heard the cdc approved the release of the mutant zika killing mosquitoes in florida mm. why do i feel like that's like the opening line of another movie starring Ian Ziering and Tara Reid. <laughs> Anytime you get a mutant killing anything, yeah. you know there's going to be a bad B movie. Uh, speaking of the Olympics, uh, the ceremony in Rio was watched by a lot of people, but not as much as they really thought that they were going to see. Only about three million in the United States. But worldwide, it is a pretty big hit. About three billion TVs worldwide. Mm. Now, there's only about seven billion people on Earth. So that's half of the TVs on this planet. I, I don't really believe those numbers, that's, but I mean, that's you, what they're saying. The U.S. alone has about 300 million people, and only 2 million were watching the Olympics. So that would mean that other countries have a lot more than half of their people watching. Yeah, I can't believe it, no. but that's what they said. So about 3 million in the United States, or roughly the same number of Republicans who are distancing themselves from Donald Trump. Michael Phelps was the U.S. flag bearer at the opening ceremonies a couple days back for the Rio Olympics. As an added bonus, he'll be close enough to Team Jamaica to get a contact high. He also got a... He got a... Uh, <laughs> he... Uh, he got a gold last night, number 19. 
in mm. relay, which was pretty cool. America's first gold medal in the Olympics was in shooting. Other countries are complaining that we had an unfair advantage, you know, because the targets were shaped like people. <laughs> the 2016 Olympic Games, featuring events adapted specifically for Rio de Janeiro, like the 100-meter Zika Run and Panic or the STD 500-meter Group Medley. Witness the Salmonella Toilet Run Relay. Check out the Freestyle Pickpocket and People Chase. There's also the Hepatitis Heptathlon and Synchronized E. coli Swimming. And Week 2, hold your nose for the men's rowing in feces single skulls or the women's swimming around garbage water polo and of course body parts on the beach volleyball the 2016 olympic games don't miss the competition the health scares and complete social and political meltdown on the networks of nbc the dave and dave sports radio cast gives you unique interviews news birthdays and more as they highlight upcoming events get more at wbhlive.tv it is the radio cast from Tucson, Arizona with Dave Vincent, Dave Fink, as we prepare for another great upcoming outdoor conclusion. We have the Toledo Three Wall National Championships with the United States Handball Association in early September, followed by the Three Wall Ball Outdoor World Championships in Las Vegas. Not just handball, Dave, but paddleball and racquetball as well. Well, we did bring that up at the top of the show, Dave, but like you said, handball, racquetball, and paddleball, and all the guys have become buddies from the three different sports. I know we've met a lot of really cool people. Brian Pineda and the rest of that racquetball crowd. Marty Hogan, Dave, who you did an interview with just a couple of weeks ago. A racquetball living legend, now about 60, and he'll be competing there. He's a, a cool dude, and you know that he loves this three-wall ball and all the shootouts. We also heard, Dave, from some of our friends, Michelle Key, Daniel De La Rosa, talking about how the three-wall ball event has really become the biggest event in outdoor racquetball and one that they look forward to most. It's the only event, Dave, on the Las Vegas Strip, right on the Stratosphere property. If you haven't been there, Dave, it's hard to kind of imagine what it looks like, but it's really spectacular. You're right there on the Strip. These courts go up the day before the event. Really fun courts to play. They've got those short sidewalls, huge bleachers. You'll never play in front of more people in your life. And, Dave, all that is credit to our very good friend, Mike Coulter, who makes all this happen. He owns the courts. He came up with the idea for this great event back in 2010, and we've been there every year since. And, Dave, Mike does everything. I mean, you see him pulling up his truck up at about 4 in the morning. He's carrying stuff. He's making sure the courts are working. He's making sure people are on the courts. And it's, it's really a great credit, Dave, to him that his vision has sort of become a reality with the help of the WPH and World Outdoor Racquetball and these other organizations that work alongside him and work together. And he's unlike a lot of other organizers in the sports of uh, paddleball, racquetball, and handball in the sense that he doesn't do it because he wants to get their, his name out there. He's not right. a, a selfie taker. He's not like Donald Trump or Kim Kardashian. He actually prefers to be in the background, which means that he's more philanthropic than your average promoter, uh, which is totally respectable. He's in the background, and and he really does do a lot of work. And if you see him out there on the floor, he's driving tractors, forklifts around. He's right. designing. He's coming up with new ideas. Um, he's bankrolling. I mean, there's a lot of money involved here. 
I, I believe they said that last year they hit over a quarter million in expenses. Yeah. That's that's becoming pretty big. And if you haven't been outdoors, the Las Vegas event is September 21st through the 25th in Las Vegas, right at the Stratosphere property. You've seen um, the YouTube videos, and if you haven't done so, you're online now. Check out aerial photograph of the Stratosphere three-wall ball courts. Type that in on Google or YouTube, and you will see an aerial shot of what our handball, racquetball, and paddleball courts look like. But anyway, back to Mike Coulter. What an amazing job he's done organizing, getting everybody together. Well, Dave, we can almost guarantee that the event here in 2016 in just about a month is going to have the most participants of any handball event in the world this year. And that that just goes to show you what this event means to people. The people that have played come back. People that play go back and tell their friends about it. They come. They might be making their first trip. And if you've made one trip, you're probably going to be coming the next year and every year after that. It's a lot of fun. It's nonstop handball, racquetball, and paddleball, but also you're just a couple feet from the casinos and all the great shows that Las Vegas has to offer. And Have you noticed that there's a trend in one wall that is becoming sort of the dominant uh, show stealer every single year? When we first brought big ball, or what is now called wall ball, out to the three wall courts, it was uh, equally 50-50 in that first year with only about a month planning. And then all of a sudden... Uh, we about a year later we brought one wall out and it s- quietly stole the show with rookie defeating uh, Timothy Gonzalez as you recall and that was kind of a that was kind of a big headline news event and then the next year after that it was hands versus paddle and everybody mm. stopped what they were doing to yeah. come out and watch that and this year they, they've added four courts and they might even go up to six that just shows you how big the one wall portion of this event has become. Well, I think you mentioned it, Dave. The one wall is the showstopper because when one wall is happening, particularly those big matches, you talked about Rookie and Timbo and the other great players, everything seems to stop. All eyes are on those one wall courts, and we both remember a lot of unbelievable matches on Saturday night, sort of those semifinal action where everyone's gathered around that one wall exhibition court, and it's exciting, it's intense, there's arguments. I mean, it it's drawn out, and... It's really fun to watch, and some of our best memories from the six years we've been in Las Vegas are those one-wall matches, and this year will be double that with four courts instead of two. Well, let's start with Timbo Gonzalez, Dave, who picked up his first WPH Outdoor singles win this year in Downey, which wasn't that big of a surprise because he is the best one-wall player in the world. He came out to Southern California and, and pretty much dominated that field with the exception of Juan Santos in the final. They had a close match there in the final but then he defeated Juan Santos at the Vegas LTE stop in May and if that was a shock because those are Juan Santos's best courts he hadn't lost on those courts since 2013 he's the three-time Players Cup champion on those courts and he held match point against Timbo in the tiebreaker there Timbo came back and won that so two titles this year for Timbo in singles he also has two titles in doubles alongside Shorty Ruiz and, and that's what's propelled him Dave to that number two ranking and I know you said if he had played in those first two events this year he could very well be ranked number one now Shorty Ruiz is another guy who started off the season outside the top 15 he picks up those doubles wins with Timbo Gonzalez which count towards your ranking also had some great finishes in the singles made the semifinals at the X-Fest and the three wall big ball and the three wall small ball he's in the quarterfinals so he skyrockets all the way up to number three Alfredo Morales, Dave, is a guy who we've watched for a lot of years. Great, great player. He can play with the small ball and the big ball, three wall and one wall. 
picked up his first WPH Outdoor Singles title at the X-Fest after losing in four finals coming into that final. Dominated Juan Santos there, just never let down, had his lob working, controlled the court, and he's a favorite everywhere. In fact, last year, Dave, I had him as my favorite to win Vegas. He got cramps against Samson in the semifinals in that tiebreaker, late in the tiebreaker when it looked like he had that match won but just couldn't run anymore when he had about two or three more points to score at about nine to eight, his lead going to 12 in that tiebreaker. And Dave, you mentioned some of these other guys, Chava Cordova, Sal Duenas. All these guys can make a lot of noise. Kevin Gonzalez, the lefty. And then, of course, in the women's, you've got Tanisha Grooms, who's won the Women's Players Cup every single year we've held it since 2012. This year, Dave, hasn't looked quite as dominant. Lost to Siana Nishereen at the Vegas LT, the women's first stop, and Tracy Davis, the living legend, your special guest host, broadcast partner for this podcast just a couple weeks ago. She's always a threat. Yeah, and then there's that rumor of uh, Ashleen Riley, who wow. said that she possibly could be coming out to Vegas. She said she wants to put that one on her bucket list, yeah. and I, I took her pretty serious okay. because she contacted me. It wasn't the other way around. And if she comes out there, it changes the landscape. It probably doesn't change the fact that she could have a chance of winning the actual Players' Cup. But it, when, when an Irish player as good as her comes along, you would say, well, they're going to win every bracket they play in, so they might have enough points. It's been a pretty... You know, small season. There's there's a good chance. Now, it, Daniel Daskalakis is going to be most likely back, as well as Sandy yeah. Ng, and and you know how well they play outdoors. Danielle just winning the one wall small ball nationals yesterday, singles and doubles. She slammed there with Sandy Ng. Sandy Ng, Dave, has won the doubles every year in Las Vegas since 2010. It started off at small ball just the first year. She won the small ball, and she's won every year with Tracy Davis in the big ball. So she's clearly the best doubles player in the game. But you watch Sandy play, Dave, and you don't understand why she's not winning every division she plays. She's just got this amazing two-handed game where she can hit with power from everywhere on the court. Danielle Daskalakis, Dave, came to the RFC, the WPH's RFC, just about a month ago. And everyone was awestruck by her game, both in four wall and one wall. She beat a couple guys in one wall, Dave, that were top, top players, almost defeated the one wall champion, lost 21-19 in the semifinals. Incredible. I mean, just a spectacular player. So she's certainly our favorite in the one wall singles, but she's beat Tanisha Grooms. She's one of only three players to have defeated Tanisha Grooms in three wall big ball so you know she's a threat to win every bracket she enters now that's just the handball portion of this uh three wall ball outdoor world championships but there's racquetball and there's paddle ball and together it makes one hell of an event that's going to be september 21st through the 25th the world outdoor three wall ball championships in las vegas at the stratosphere hotel casino tower go on to r2sports.com and use your tabs after searching for handball or your respective sport. And one of those tabs is going to be the hotel tab. On that tab, you're going to find that um, you're going to get hotel discounts. They're going to be available. And it's going to be uh, pretty good stuff for you because you can stay right there at the Stratosphere. I always say that it's really close, but you won't really know until you actually have done it yourself. I can't recall any tournament where you can leave your room and get to the tournament desk in less than a minute and a half and still be on the 21st floor. Can you recall anything that where you're? At I believe a the Stratosphere is the fastest elevators in Las Vegas, so that certainly helps. It does help, yeah. But can you avoid those baccarat and blackjack tables I, on the way from the elevator to the courts? That's the question. Well, I have a a, a bank statement that can prove I can't. Mm. <laughs> Blake Griffin, the power forward to the L.A. Clippers, 
was in Montreal recently. You know, they had all those comedy festivals. I did watch the roast battle, yeah, okay. and maybe that's why it was in Montreal. I didn't realize that right. they had the, the comedy festival there. I would say basically it's like a whole month long worth of comedians in oh, Montreal. Okay. And, that explains and it. I don't know why he was there specifically. But I don't know why you're not there. That's my. That's the real question there, and I'm trying to get you on that roast battle next year. I think it's a little obvious after <laughs> listening to our opening here today why I wasn't on there. But let's talk about it. Blake Griffin was on stage doing stand-up comedy in oh. Montreal, and I have a clip. Here's Blake Griffin with some WPH radio cast comedy hilarity. Listen, I'm just going to cut right to what I know what you guys are thinking. This guy's not a comedian. He's an athlete. He's a big, dumb, stupid athlete. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so prepared for somebody to be mean to me. Um... I'm sure you think I can't talk good. I'm sure you think that I don't know good grammar. And that's probably because you've seen athletes be interviewed on TV and they're so bad that you think they're stupid, but it's not that we're stupid. Actually, football players are stupid. But I blame it on post-game interviews. Like, I would love to see somebody considered smart by the real world get interviewed 30 seconds after they just finished exercising for two straight hours. Think about that. Like, it's not that we're done, we just can't get enough oxygen to our brains. Like, if, if anybody thought it was a good idea to put a guy on live TV and ask him questions who spent his entire life working out and cheating his way through school, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's a good point. I think we know, Dave, why he gets so many laughs because I think you would know what happened if you weren't laughing and heckling. His best friend found that out in a restaurant just a few <laughs> months ago. That is that is actually a really good point. You know, just listening to the style of him talking right there, I, I heard a little Anthony Jeselnik there. I, mm. I believe he has a he has a writer. That's not coming from him necessarily, okay. right? Uh, that sounded was... like his own material. It wasn't too <laughs> impressed. Well, Dave, you know, this last week has been really straining for a lot of people. I know myself included, it has been no laughing matter. Um, you know, we try to make light here on the show, but I guess that's what we're supposed to do in times like this. But it wasn't just, uh, you know, a week ago we we were talking about how uh, great some of these older players are. The, the, the aging master players are still playing just like they were when they were on the pro tour in their 20s. The Tyler Hamels and the Marco Chavez's. And Gavin Buggy playing like he was still a young guy qualifying. You played against him. One of his best friends passed away, Duxy Walsh. What are your your thoughts and your opinions on this? I, I can see the whole world has really reached out and, you know, to the family and the friends uh, of Duxy. It's been a trying time, really, for handball. It's really devastating and heartbreaking and so shocking. And, you know, Duxy Dave is someone I knew for more than 20 years He's such a great person, a great ambassador, and such a great player. And it's just so sad and so tragic that we lost him so young, just 50 years old, and just doesn't seem fair. Fit and took care of himself and just unfortunately had this, this terrible stroke after he won that 60 by 30 national championship. And it's just it leaves a huge void for all of us in handball. You know, I try to quantify. I said this with Tracy at the time we did our last radio cast we knew of the affliction that put uh, duxy into the hospital and you know had had a surgery and we knew about it he was still hanging on with life support 
and we all had our wishes and prayers going out to him. But, you know, I thought about why it's so hard for us to to accept when somebody passes away. And I think it's it's literally, you know, we look at people and we only know them from life. We only know life, you know, and we don't know anything about it. Science is still trying to grasp what happens in the afterlife. But what we know as people is what what, you know, we know when we're here. You know, I relate to you because I see you in flesh and blood. And then when I know that you're no longer there, it, I, it's very hard to quantify. Well, it's, it's, you know, very, very sad. You're talking about one of the greatest ambassadors, greatest people and greatest players that have ever played. And, you know, Duxy had a lot of his success before the Irish really started coming over to the United States. It was kind of Tony Healy and Paul Brady who started coming to all the stops and really, you know, moving into that top five and winning championships here. But Duxy Walsh was right at that level, Dave. He grew up playing with John Bike and kind of very close with John Bike. John Bike was number one for a lot of years. He was number two for a lot of years. And Duxy was right there. You know, if they would play in both of their primes, it would be a, a very good match. So you know that if Duxy was able to have traveled here, this amazing list of accomplishments that he's put together, I believe 38 All-Ireland senior titles, two world championships, he would have even more uh, as part of his glittering resume. But, you know, anytime you you lose somebody like Duxy Walsh, who is a, a pillar in this sport, um, it's it's a terrible it's a terrible thing. And, you know, words can't really describe um, the loss, you know, trying to explain what he meant on the court, on on the court, also off the court to people who might have just been casual fans. It's, it's almost impossible to do because you start reading the list of accomplishments and you get to a point where you say, I. Are they, you know, am I pausing long enough in between these stats so they can really digest what he's done? I think the one that really sticks out to me is the the senior softball singles titles between 1985 and 1997. He won every single one of those. Plus, he won in 1999, 2000, 2001, 16 All-Ireland 60 by 30 titles. 60 by 30, we play handball traditionally in the four wall court in a mm-hmm. 40 by 20 40 feet by 20 feet it's 60 feet so it's 20 feet longer and another 10 feet more wide uh, which means you have to be completely athletic and in great shape to dominate that sport and that's exactly what he did for 16 years also won a one wall title right and that might have been probably you know if you were going to talk to him today he would probably say that that's the one that it meant the most to him in a lot of ways. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that meant a lot to him, but it just, uh, I think he's one of those, like if we're going to equate it to the sport of baseball, you're a utility player. You play all the positions. He's one of those guys that can play anything and be good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an unfortunate time for us to, to learn about his passing. Uh, he was born May 3rd, 1966, and he left us August 4th, 2016. Duxie Walsh, he was 50. And uh, he will be remembered. Dave, we're going to have more of this radio cast coming up right around the corner. Stick close. Who keeps you up to date with the latest news, sports, and entertainment? Leave Tom Brady alone. We do. Dave and Dave are live with a sports radio cast on TuneIn Radio at WBHLive.tv.
Whether it's live filming, the Race for Eight professional tour, junior handball development, coaching and mentoring, or event planning, the World Players of Handball has you covered. The WPH Live TV crew is sinking the time, effort, and energy into growing the game of handball on a grassroots level with a focus on mass media attention. Since 2014, the WPH has aired over 20 tournaments on ESPN, and the upcoming season will also be filmed on the network. Junior WPH is flourishing as the WPH has a full-time development director and coach on staff and a department of instructors that will train, mentor, teach, and introduce handball to over 5,000 new recruits and junior athletes before year's end. Thank you for assisting the group that sees a very bright future for the game of handball. Without your donations and membership support, the WPH would not be where they are today. The WPH is a 501c3 nonprofit foundation. Please encourage others in your area to support, donate, volunteer, and give. Visit the WPH website at wphlive.tv or go to thehandballstore.com to purchase your Players Card membership. The WPH $200,000 Race for H Professional Handball Tour is back. Top handball players, qualifiers, senior 40-plus men and women's elite will participate alongside amateurs, age division, juniors and skill level players at multiple stops. Beginning in October of 2016, running through April of 17. From the simple green US Open of handball through Salt Lake City's Players' Championship. The WPH Live TV film crew will be airing matches on ESPN3 and the Watch ESPN app with hopes you come out and play or help promote this amazing game by sharing each event's broadcast schedule. To gather the full schedule, go to www.wphlive.tv and use your tabs. Select Elite Handball and then click the schedule, news, rankings and more. Come join the WPH on the courts this season. Who is this? It's TuneIn Radio on WPHLive.tv with Dave and Dave. Emotional announcement at Yankee Stadium. I love this team. A-Rod retiring this week. President Obama playing cheerleader-in-chief. To all of our Olympic and Paralympic athletes wearing the red, white, and blue, know that your country couldn't be prouder of you. Russia will appeal a decision by the International Paralympic Committee barring the Russian team from the Rio Games. Donald Trump appears to be staying more on message at recent campaign stops. And we will have the wall, and the wall does work. And it will be big. Touting his signature campaign issue at a rally in New Hampshire. Dr. Jill Stein accepted the Green Party's nomination for president. Iran has executed a nuclear scientist for spying for the United States. Jim Furyk has set a PGA Tour record by shooting a 58 during final round of the Travelers Championship in Connecticut. Someone was selling beehives at a Walmart parking lot in Oklahoma City. When some of the bees got loose, as many as 60,000 of them, several people were stung. Two skydivers jumping in tandem died Saturday at a public parachute drop site near the city of Lodi in Northern California. There are the headlines over the weekend as well as here on a Monday. My name is Dave Vincent alongside Dave Fink. It is the radio cast, Tucson, Arizona. Welcome back to Tucson, Dave, after taking a little hiatus to Pittsburgh. Here are some of those headlines. Chris Jenner says she's okay with only injuring her wrist in that car accident that she had over the weekend. Luckily, it won't impact her ability to hold a pin in order to sign her contract renewal with the devil. Mm. Do you watch the Kardashians? No. That's a boycott. Thank God. TMZ posted a pic of Ben Affleck rushing to a movie premiere after uh, a party that he had in London with his fly open and his pants were almost flying down. 
What will Jennifer say? Uh, I don't know what she's going to say, but it does prove that Ben can drop trowel without being in front of his nanny. <laughs> that solves that problem right there. Uh, Apple replaced the revolver emoji with a squirt gun. Just to try to be politically correct, I guess. I guess there's a new iOS software update. Dave, you don't have the iPhone, but you're, I think you're a Droid user. I am. Approximately 100 new emojis coming out soon. Replacing the revolver, though, is going to be a squirt gun, they're saying. I hope that it's not filled with water from Tucson, Arizona, or it might be just as bad as the revolver. The Race for Eight Tour is here, and you have an interesting subject that you wanted to bring up is some new rule changes. Uh, we have we have some cities, a new city, which would be um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Right. We were in Minneapolis for a pre-race stop, Dave, it was 2011, I believe, maybe it was 2010, where it was Dave Chapman defeating Sean Lenning there. That was in Fridley. This time we're coming back to Minneapolis and we'll play at the University of Minnesota uh, right on their campus at that beautiful rec center. We've been there to broadcast events. and Actually, our first broadcast together was there. That's true. This, this all started in 2007, unfortunately, for everyone that's listened. And now we're coming up on 10 years of bantering. It's both, hard, to, hard to believe that, actually. Yeah, both on the court and now, for some reason, taking it to this platform. <laughs> what other platform is there? Well, I mean, I mean, left. Because we'll be going back to Plumber Dave, where it's going to be an official event this year. Now, it's official, but it's a non-race rules event in some ways because it's an open tournament. So there won't be a qualifier. Everyone will be thrown into that draw. We will try and seed off the rankings, but I believe it's the plumber seeding committee that's going to take yeah, over so that. It's kind of a different so it's sort kind of, of a, I mean, who knows what could happen there. It'd be just like the Olympic seeding committee right. with uh, men's tennis, possibly. But Jake, he's he's open and he listens and I'm sure that'll be pretty open there. But that one will not be broadcast live on ESPN. Right. That's going to be a, a dark yeah. stop. So you better get your entry in once that goes public. And back to New Orleans this year, Dave, where Everyone made it but you. Missed your only stop of the tour last year Ever, with uh, I think. some health issues. And uh, I know you're going to be excited to make it to to Bourbon Street in the French Quarter. A lot of fun there. And it, probably the best experience I've ever had in four-wall handball, sitting in between the two exhibition courts, which are both three glass courts, watching tiebreakers to my left and right. And I remember it, Dave, very well of six about six or seven months ago. Emmett Pichot and Killian Carroll locked in a tiebreaker at 12-all, 13-all. Right to my right, it's Anthony Celesto and Daniel Cordova locked in a tiebreaker. Exactly the same score in the tiebreaker at the same exact time. I mean, where could you see anything like that? Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. That, and those, we're talking about some of the best visual courts of all time in yeah. New Orleans. If you're planning on making a race stop, make it this one because, first of all, once you get inside the club... Glass court here, glass court there, glass court. And you can sit in one unified position and watch everything. Incredible. It's Not so easy, though, for the players inside those glass courts. Very difficult to see in the front corners, the back corners. It's a challenge, but you watch from the outside and you never lose track of the ball. And you see these players fooled all the time. And you're thinking, how did you not see that? But when you're in that court, I don't know if it's the glare or it's, it, the corners are dark. Very difficult court to play. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be fun to watch. 
Uh, you know, from a fan's perspective, when we watch you guys play, we don't see you guys get fooled very often. I know that, you know, there's a sense of insecurity. I don't like playing the game myself when I'm insecure. And I can tell that the players don't necessarily like getting on these courts. I have a lot of glass, but we don't see any hmm. any difference. You, your game is still amazing. Then it's to Houston, Texas, Dave. We've been there every year since 2012, the race for a two. So... That's the also the Texas State Doubles Championships, which I know you've played in. A lot of the top guys play in that. A lot of the top locals also play. And then, of course, you've got the race stop that'll also be played. That's the fifth of seven stops. So you know that's an important one. Then it's the NYAC Invitational, Dave, the last regular season event of the season. Your last chance to get into that top eight before the Players' Championships, which earned you the invite into the Players' Championship. And, of course, the Players' Championship does have a qualifier, unlike in the first couple of years. But you want to be in that top eight heading into the Players' Championship. Put yourself in a position to earn that bonus money and the highest possible ranking you can have. And then Salt Lake City for the Players' Championship. That'll be our second time in Salt Lake for the Players' Championship. I think third. It just seems like that would be number three for us. Now, I remember we did the first couple years with uh, Seattle. Right. And we did one in Portland. That makes three. This is going to be season six. This will be our third time. Okay. Third championship there in Salt Lake City. And, Dave, we didn't mention we've got the U.S. Open to kick everything off in October. That's going to be our first event, kind of like the Daytona 500 in NASCAR. It's one of their biggest events, and it's the first event of the season. Right. It's like start with the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, if you only attended one tournament of the year, we hope that it is the Simple Green U.S. Mm. Open of handball. It's in a, an absolutely perfect location for you if you want to bring the family, want to jaunt on over to Disneyland. I remember those first couple years we, we hit Disneyland and California Adventure, which is pretty cool. And then you go to a handball tournament after that, and now you throw in ESPN's live coverage, and it just makes for this exceptional event. Last couple years they've added outdoor handball, so there's one wall and three-wall ball being added, and all of the top names in all of the sports, just like a repeat of Vegas in a lot of ways, come out yeah, to this amazing event to honor Nadia Alvarado Sr., the greatest player of all time. It's known as the Festival of Handball, and players from all over the world will will say, Dave, that it's their favorite event in the sport, and they'll mark that on their calendars, and they'll make the trip from Australia and Ireland and Canada and everywhere else all throughout the United States to come and play in that event. Oh, yeah. Just the smells outside with the barbecue, they uh, they really roll out the red carpet for us. You know, we say that about a lot of events, but this is the one where the organization from the Alvarados, Mark Shelgren and Debbie and uh, and Mike Kane, the staff at Los Caballeros Sports Village, done a great job to make that one, as well as the family that surrounds it all. And we're talking about Bruce Fabrizio and Simple Green. Yeah, it's a very professional, professionally run event, and you can feel that when you're there. Everything is just as it should be, and the players and fans really appreciate that. And a great show court there, Dave, for the four-wall handball and the three-wall. But, Dave, the four-wall kind of packed in there in those bleachers. It kind of feels like you're in a college basketball arena like Duke or somewhere like that where the fans are right on top. You can really feel all that energy. And, you know, even though it only seats about 150, it feels like you're playing in front of as many people that could possibly be watching. And you've got ESPN, of course, which would bring in hundreds of thousands of more viewers into that great show court. It will also kick off the Race for a Tour, but also the seniors... 40-plus mm, division will be offered right. there as well. The women's elite will be there, and the men's elite eight will be on display oh. as well as we kick off 
stop number one. That's always the third week of October at the Los Caballeros Sports Village in Fountain Valley, California. You can get information at r2sports.com. The entry is live, and you can also see by using your tabs how much money you could make, how much the entry costs, but also information about the schedule, the daily events, and all the other things that go along with that tournament. And, Dave, let's talk a little bit about a couple of rule, rules tweaks that, right. the, that the rules committee has made. Four minutes between games instead of three in the 15-15-15 format, which will be featured in five of the seven events. You know, Dave, three minutes sounded great when we did it. Let's speed it along. Less time for breaks. But by the time you take your gloves off and put another shirt on, you're already at three minutes and you don't even have time to put your gloves back on. That's a true statement. The- but I, I believe the reason why that, that that rule came about was because the tours become more popular and not sound like, you know, tooting our own horns here. Yeah. But because of the amount of people that want to come out and watch and also some of the hype around ESPN, that's drawn the crowds closer to the players. I just think of Los Caballeros Sports Village when right. there's an intense match coming on and the players come out of that court and they're just the fans are right up on top of them. Well, every stop has sort of become that. Right. And the players need an extra minute or so just to get to their bag or to change their clothing as well. So there's a little reason for that. That's true. And the players have encountered quite a bit of that, particularly, Dave, in Portland, where we saw four or 500 fans crowded around the court just to get to your bag took up to a minute before you even get your hands on a new pair of gloves. Now, the race counts five of the best seven events. We have seven events throughout the season, including the championship in Salt Lake City. So if a guy says, I can't make it to one or two events, it doesn't really count against him. He'll just count his five best. Now, for some guys who are going to play in seven, maybe they're off in one or two of those events. They're out in the first round or whatnot. Those don't really count against them. So you're only counting your five best events, which I think, Dave, helps out just about everybody because you could have injuries. You could have guys you know, that have work commitments or you can have guys that just can't make it in from Ireland two weeks uh, in a row, you know, or two out of three weekends to play in these great stops. So, and well, I think the, it, one of the catches on that is that it's five out of seven, but you better make that, uh, that fifth one, yeah. the players championship in Salt oh, Lake right. city, because there is kind of like an asterisk on that. You can't just say five out of seven because you need to be present in order to get bonus money. Right. Now, I don't know if we had this happen in years past, but it certainly could where a player could be ranked 12th and they do fairly well in that Salt Lake City tournament. Maybe another top eight player doesn't show up and they could just migrate themselves in to that bonus money Um without actually being a named eight player in the, right. in the players championship. So there's been a lot of people out there that have asked questions about that. And if that's your answer. Yeah. You could be a non-ranked outside the top eight and then mosey into the top eight and get bonus money just like you would in NASCAR or, or in golf. Well, it's, it's kind of cool because the first couple of years was exclusive to the top eight only. So really the guys who weren't able to play, you know, got way behind the top eight going in the next season. And now you've got a chance for those qualifiers to come in, maybe knock out a guy that is eighth or seventh in the in the first round. And now you could jump over him into that bonus money for the, the final season standings. Now, if you're in the top eight, I don't think you like this new way all that much because you were guaranteed a spot in the top eight if you just showed up at the championship. But this makes for a lot of drama and a lot of great matchups. What other, what other rules or... Talk about matchups. Yeah, this one is going to create a lot of interesting matchups. The blind draw scenarios. Now, traditionally, Dave, the blind draw has been we've got the top eight and the qualifiers blind draw to see who they play in that top eight. Now, 
the first year they couldn't play the same player two events in a row and we saw that happen actually with Andy Nett and myself we played each other three events in a row right and we had to say wait a minute you know we're coming here to play different people so we made up that rule and now we've taken it another step and say you can't play the same guy in the first round at any point in the season now obviously in the sixth or seventh event it's possible with all the scenarios that you could run into the same guy but if you're in the third or fourth or fifth event, you pick the same guy's name. Say it's Paul Brady. Well, I already played him at the at the U.S. Open. Put his name back in, and you pick a different name. Now, there's that, but there's also what we call the reverse blind draw, where the qualifiers, Dave, will pick the names of the player they want to play so they can choose. They will have their names drawn out of a hat, and if you're picked first, you could say, well... I think I want to play Daniel Cordova in the first round. I'm going to choose my pro. And then in the next event, the pro will have his name chosen, and he'll go ahead and say what qualifier he wants to play. Okay, so it's not going to be the same way every single stop. No, First of all, the stop number one's open, so there's no picking or choosing. That just happens naturally. Um, but then stop number two, which is in Minnesota, which which form is that going to be? That'll be the traditional blind draw where you have... It's all mathematically mathemat- pulled out of a hat, yes, right? right? Okay, and then stop number three, which... Is open at the Plumber because that's another open tournament. Right. And then four is going to be, uh, I believe, New Orleans. Now, I don't have uh, the rules in front of me, but I believe New Orleans is a throwback reverse blind draw where... The, the highest ranked, the four highest ranked qualifiers who would consider the one through four would then play the five through eight ranked guys in the. Oh, like first a throwback, round. like you, throwback. like the old USHA tour, like the way you would do it when well, we the, first started. Yeah, right. The way we first started. So if you are one of the top four ranked qualifiers that make it through the qualifier in New Orleans, you could not draw one of the guys ranked right. one through four. So you couldn't play as it stands now, Paul Brady. Sean Lenning, Mondo Ortiz, or Killian Carroll. You would have to play one of those guys in the 5 through 8. So it rewards you for having a better ranking as opposed to somebody who just comes in and qualifies for the first time and then could actually draw number 8. Now that guy's going to have to draw number 1, 2, 3, or 4. Yeah, okay, so this this is all going to be out there and public yes. before the first stops. It and, will be. Okay, so that's another neat thing about yeah. the tour is that this isn't made up as you go. It's all right. been planned out years in advance, mm-hmm. and uh, you can go read those rules on the Code of Conduct. And like I said in the previous radio cast, just go on to WPHLive.tv and then scroll down to the bottom of the page because you'll see there's a little uh, search engine, and you can type in Code of Conduct or rules the word rules and mm-hmm. it'll bring up the the most recent post yeah. that has those words in the title and so you don't find old generated posts from years gone by uh, so we'll have that posted here for you soon and we'll make sure that everything is transparent and you know dave in houston it'll be the top eight picking the qualifier they want to play so the top eight will pull their name out of a hat if you're picked first you get to choose whatever qualifier you want now you couldn't pick a qualifier that you'd already played earlier in the season and then in the NYC, it'll be the exact opposite, where the qualifiers will actually qualify on Thursday, and they'll know who they're going to play the night before, so they can get online, watch all their videos, and scout their opponents, because they're going to know, they're going to have the pros' names picked, and they're going to say, I want to play you know, whatever top eight pro they think they have the best chance to beat, and they'll be able to study up for you know 12 to 20 hours before that first-round matchup. Well, I know the players do prefer that, but... Uh... Let's look toward the Players' Championship. This is the big one. What is that method of pulling the name out of the hat in the blind draw? That method is strictly by the rankings. So you've got 
the if the top eight guys accept their invite, you've got that's the top eight. They're already into the main draw. Now the number nine ranked guy becomes the number one ranked player in the qualifier, just as he always is. Now if that number nine ranked guy qualifies, he now plays into number eight. The number two ranked qualifier would be the second ranked seed in that Salt Lake City qualifier. He plays into number seven. He'd be considered the 10 seed going into number seven and so on. So it does reward players who, even if they didn't make the top eight, if they're on the cusp of the top eight, now they can play that guy who they're closest to in the rankings. And a lot of times, Dave, if they take that guy out, take over his spot in the rankings, depending on how everything works out. Okay, well, that sounds cool. Is, is, is Any other rule changes? We also, Dave, of course, we've got the junior WPH clinics at all of our stops. I think last year was probably one of our best seasons ever with the clinics. We saw an amazing clinic there in New Orleans. Mondo Ortiz leading that clinic. Paul Brady leading that clinic in Portland. Killian Carroll in Tucson. Daniel Cordova and Martina McMahon at the U.S. Open. And, you know, Dave, all the other stops had them as well. And they were very inspiring. And you saw the smiles on all the kids' faces. And that will continue just as we do weekly in the junior WPH weekly clinics at summer camps and at schools and at various tournaments. Um, but Dave, a new wrinkle in the race freight for the first time, we're going to be having men's pro doubles showdown matches. And I know, you know, a lot about that. We haven't really debuted that yet. We've told the players casually that there will be doubles. There is going to be prize money involved and players. I believe Dave are going to be separated into teams the teams will play against other teams, showdown matches, and then all for a final ranking in the doubles, which will also come with more prize money at the end of the season. Now, I didn't explain it that well, but what I'm saying is there's going to be doubles. You're going to see your favorite race for eight pros teaming up with one another or against one another in doubles play. I think what it will do is it'll allow the players to get closer together. Uh, I don't know exactly which how those teams are going to be because you know we don't really know if Paul Brady's going to even be playing this year or not and he of course would be uh, the first guy to pick who's going to be on his team but there would be essentially like a tier one player playing alongside a tier three and then a tier five and it all comes down to court availability and whether the the host has enough courts for us to have a couple of these doubles matches and those matches are one game to 17 one server only per inning and you alternate serve yeah. So it, the the actions and no timeouts. Right. So you're going to see the action very quick. It's going to be intense. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch and play. Yeah, it could be like blowout doubles, and, mm -hmm. and it could be a lot of fun. Those that don't traditionally play doubles on the tour, you're going to see them on the court, and you're going to see a lot of diving gets and a lot of hustle plays because every single point matters. In fact, the players that accumulate points, that will go alongside their ranking. So if you get uh, 10 points for winning a tournament, but you scored 141 points, you would get 10.141, and that's how your ranking will look at the end of that tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I think it's going to draw the players closer together. The fans are going to love it because it's going to be hard-hitting, quick, fast, and, and extreme. Now, Dave, you brought up Paul Brady briefly there. Now, I'm going to turn the tables here and ask you to put on your analyst hat and ask you some questions. Is Paul Brady still the guy to beat? Assuming that he plays either a partial or full schedule next season, is he the guy to beat, in your opinion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That I think was... if the next question would be which one of the stops he would probably hit U.S. Open, he would probably go to the New York. He might hit New Orleans and uh, the Players' Championship. And I think just by doing three or four stops, he could still have enough um, potential winning power to win it all. I, I think you're going to see a, a part-time Paul Brady in this upcoming season if that 
it's not going to be a full-time Paul Brady. It'll definitely be part-time at the best. Based on what you've seen last season, is Killian Carroll ready to take the mantle from Paul Brady as the next number one player? And as we've seen in handball, Dave, number one players aren't just for one season. Generally, you see a guy who's number one, he's number one for five, ten years, as we've seen with Paul Brady, Dave Chapman, Nadia Alvarado Sr. And going all the way down the line, it just seems like every generation we have this great number one guy. Now, remember, Dave, Killian Carroll has beat Paul Brady in their last two matches, really the two biggest tournaments of the year, the Players' Championship and the Nationals. But Killian Carroll's also been prone to losing. I mean, right. he's lost to Mondo Ortiz a couple times. He's lost to Sean Lenning. He's lost to Emmett Pichot. He's lost to Vic Perez. So what I'm asking you, is he the guy, or is it somebody like Sean Lenning or Mondo Ortiz or someone else who could become that new number one guy? Well, I've always said that it was Sean Lenning, Alan Garner, Luis Moreno, Mondo Ortiz as the next guy. And then we saw Killian Carroll play in 2012 at the World Championships. And then you, you heard what I said immediately, that this guy is going to be the next one. Uh, he is the next one, but it had, so I would say, a turbulent year because it was up and down so much. The last two stops, though, he did seem to put it into that level that I felt like he would be at at the beginning of the year. So it's a great question because we don't know how to predict these sort of things. I would say there's certain error about Killian Carroll right now that the other players are going to fear because they're going to see that it's very difficult to defeat that guy. And if Paul Brady's not playing, I think he will be the one to beat. So that, that I guess that is my answer. Shifting to the women's, Katrina Casey, completely dominant. She's won nine of her 10 women's race for age starts. She's the only woman to have played in all 10 women's race for eight events, losing just one match last year's 2015 Simple Green U.S. Open. Is there anybody? And Dave, think about what we saw in Portland last year where she was just so dominant and then again at the Nationals. Is there any woman coming up that can challenge Katrina Casey this season? I think Sian and Nishireen could, if, unless you excluded her, but also Martina McMahon. It, it comes down very similar to what Sean Lenning and Mondo Ortiz and Luis Moreno and, and if Alan Garner is... is you know, coming out to play in the tour this la this next year. Are they in shape and mentally are they ready to do it? Because she has a way of mentally breaking you down and making you feel like you haven't played the game before. And she has a way of making you feel like you're not in shape enough. Um, well, I think what it is is the belief. Because you can believe you're going to win before you go into the court. Now you get into the court and you've played 10 or 15 rallies and all of a sudden you just feel overwhelmed and overmatched to some degree. Yeah. And then you're broken. Yeah, and the, the other aspect to that is that you think you're playing good mm -hmm. and you're down 11 to one. And that's the part that, that you start getting broken on. You know, you, you knew what you were in for with uh, the athleticism. You knew you're going to be in for having to be in the best shape of your life and you show up with the best shape of your life. Now she starts making her shots and we've seen her lift her game to make some amazing shots. Now, don't get me wrong here because I'm not discrediting Ashley Riley. When she's in shape, I think she's the best player in the world. Mm. But if she comes out not completely focused that way, it's Katrina Casey. And, and Katrina has proven to us that she can dominate. Now, one more question for you. And this is a tough one before you get off the podcast hot seat. Who is going to be our surprise breakout star of the next season? It could be men's or women's. Who do you see coming up on the horizon? Or maybe it's someone that's already there that's going to make a big jump. Maybe to win an event. Yeah, this is a this is a strange one. Is Alan Garner going to play? Because He could be a potential breakout star. He yeah. would count. Yeah, but we really haven't seen much of him. Talked and with him yesterday. He said he's playing once a week, which he says isn't enough. He wants to play more. So I don't know if that means he's going to play more and start coming to the events. 
You just never know. Yeah, I, I don't know really how to answer that. I think Luis Moreno um, had an off year for him himself last year, did not play in the Players' Championship. I would put him in the category of breakout, yeah. even though he's you know one of the most popular players on tour. Um, but it's been more than two years now since Luis has won an event, and he did win nine of the first 17. And you remember at the end of last season, he started to be finding his game. In fact, he could have very easily won the Nationals. He led Paul Brady 8-4 to four in the tiebreaker. Yeah. And, you know, he wins that match, and he would beat Killian the, the tournament before in Salt Lake City. So he very well could be the national champion. Of course, he's not. There's no could-have, should-haves. But I agree with you. The way Luis played in the spring in the last couple of months that we saw him, we saw him in the Armed Forces Tribute event in Tucson just look amazing against Sean Lenning. I felt for a short time last year that Sean Lenning was going to be that breakout star as well because he had a really good fiscal year right. put in place, and then Killian Carroll kind of became that late bloomer, and he ends up winning the award for the, you know, that, uh, that featured player that you just brought up. So uh, it can't be Killian two years in a row, I guess. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Luis Moreno. Okay. As if he plays. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. The Race for Eight Professional Handball Tour kicks off in October at the Simple Green U.S. Open of Handball. That's going to be the third week of October. And you can get out all the information on this by either going to r2sports.com, searching handball, looking for the Simple Green U.S. Open, or go to our website at wphlive.tv. Use the search menu at the bottom, but I believe it's a, it's a featured story on the main page. You can find the whole schedule. And then, Dave... It's all going to be covered by ESPN and the Watch ESPN app. This is the third year now that we'll be going into having ESPN coverage. And I think sometimes that the community just gets numbed to the thought that ESPN's involved. And I think that's kind of a natural thing. But let's look at this. ESPN. Well, ESPN, Dave, the worldwide leader in sports. And what a great thing for handball to be included under that umbrella. ESPN reaches more homes for sports than anywhere in the world. And for the Race for Eight and some of the WPH outdoor events to be included in ESPN is probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened to handball. Yeah, it's just really big. And the guys at the network are excited. So um, we'll have our first ESPN gig coming up in September at the Three Wall Ball Outdoor World Championships. That'll be September 21st through the 25th at the Stratosphere. And we are inviting you to come out and either watch volunteer, play, or just hang out down the strip in Vegas because we're right on the actual Las Vegas Boulevard. Dave, thanks for uh, returning back to your regular position here mm. at the Radio Cast. Thanks for having me. We're going to say goodbye for now. We hope that you have a great rest of your day. We'll chat with you with the next edition next week here at WPHlive.tv. Who keeps you up to date with the latest news, sports, and entertainment? Leave Tom Brady alone. We do. Dave and Dave are live with a sports radio cast on TuneIn Radio at WPHlive.tv. The WPH $200,000 Race for Eight Professional Handball Tour is back. Top handball players, qualifiers, senior 40-plus men, and women's elite will participate alongside amateurs, age division, juniors, and skill-level players at multiple stops beginning in October of 2016, running through April of 17. From the Simple Green U.S. Open of Handball through Salt Lake City's Players' Championship. 
The WPH Live TV Film Crew will be airing matches on ESPN3 and the Watch ESPN app with hopes you come out and play or help promote this amazing game by sharing each event's broadcast schedule. To gather the full schedule, go to www.wphlive.tv and use your tabs. Select Elite Handball and then click the schedule, news, rankings, and more. Come join the WPH on the courts this season.